Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to To The Point Podcast. Hope you're all doing well, and hope you all had a great weekend. We are live here on our first Monday NFL recap of the season. I'm thrilled to be joining you. I had a hell of a time the last couple days watching a lot of football, college, NFL. So much to break down today. A lot to get into from stories from my weekend when it comes to gambling. And I was seeing the board extremely well. One of the best weekends I've had gambling, so I wanted to share with you all. So I want to, we're going to get into that. We're going to talk football today. Tomorrow's a Tuesday. And what I think my plan moving forward is Mondays is going to be a football show. Recap, NFL, college, so much to get into. Into a show. Tuesday show is going to be a mix of everything. We'll talk about Monday Night Football, which is Broncos, Seahawks tonight. Let's ride. Tuesdays, Seamus joins, as you all know, so we will talk about Monday Night Football. We'll also talk about some hockey news. A lot of professional tryouts have been handed over the, over the weekend. We've had a lot of different deals <clears throat> given to uh, Evan Rodriguez got a deal. We've uh, Tim Stutzler got, uh, got re-signed, so we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Uh, baseball has new rules going into next season. We'll discuss that tomorrow, so we're going to get into everything that I just don't have time to fit into the show today. We'll do that on Tuesdays because Monday is going to be an NFL show because there's so much content. There's so much to get to. And what a week one. My general synopsis of week one is it's a carryover from the playoffs of 2022. You remember? The crazy Bills Chiefs game, the crazy Bills, uh, crazy Titans uh, Bengals game, the Bengals come back against the Chiefs. There were elements of last year's postseason, maybe not in intensity, you'd say, maybe not in execution, because offenses were a bit stagnant yesterday. They were a bit inconsequential. Defenses were definitely the superior side of the football yesterday, but you felt. You felt the same vibe. Games were close. They came down to the wire. We had multiple overtime games. We had turnovers galore. We had interesting uh, field goal kickers. I want to make you pull out your hair. Injuries. It was all encompassing yesterday. There wasn't enough screens. I tried. I had four. Four screens is definitely the new best setup that I can offer anybody. If you have the means... Here's what I would recommend. And everybody's got a different football setup, and we'll discuss that. I had my TV that I had in my home. I brought the TV that I broadcast the podcast on. Because if you don't know, I do through my camera, then to the TV, and it goes out YouTube, Facebook, all the above. So that's how I do that. So I brought the TV from my office in here to my home, plug that in next to my other TV. Then I use my computer that I use for this podcast, research, streaming, all the other stuff that I do. I also have another computer that my dad wanted to throw away. I kept, I throw football on that. So I had four screens going yesterday, the entire day. It's a lot. I will say that. It's a lot. However, 
you get to see everything. You don't miss much. Three games, put on the red zone on the other. You get all the other big plays. It's a pretty good setup. It's a lot. You need to be able to to look one way, then look the other, and be able to. But that's how my brain processes. I can't stand a commercial. If you've been with me anywhere, you know if I'm watching something, I'm flipping to another station. That's just how I operate. I don't care. Tonight, Monday Night Football, I will switch to something else on a commercial because I just I can't do it. So it was a good first. I'd never done the four screens. Loved it. Going back to it. Moving forward. Now, when it comes to the football, where do we start? Well, let's start in Cincinnati, Ohio, because before the season, in the back of my brain, all I felt was that I was nervous about Cincinnati. And all while knowing that the Cincinnati Bengals are an elite team, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Logan Wilson at linebacker, Jesse Bates, one of my favorite free safeties. And I said, well, of course Cincinnati's going to get back to the playoffs. I don't think they're going to win the division, but I think Cincinnati's going to get back to the playoffs. And this isn't going to be overreaction Monday here on To The Point because that's not how I operate. I'm not first take where I'm going to throw a fit about an injury, about a team losing. But I can look at a situation and compare two different situations. The Chiefs and the Bengals did a lot to improve their offensive line this offseason. The Bengals have one new, have only one guy remaining from last year's offensive line during the Super Bowl. The Chiefs have four new offensive linemen on their team from last season. Well, Cincinnati gave up six, I'm going to repeat this, six sacks yesterday. That seems on par to what Joe Burrow's usually getting. He got sacked nine times by the Titans, but I digress. Got sacked 70 times throughout the playoffs and postseason last year. Patrick Mahomes, you might add, was sacked zero times last year. Two AFC teams, two teams that were in the AFC championship game, one seemed to have more success than the other. And you could argue Pittsburgh has a better defense. Fair, but I still think Arizona has a, de- has a decent pass rush compared to what they showed yesterday, or that's just a really good offensive line. But for Cincinnati yesterday, nothing went well. Not a thing. Joe Burrow didn't play well. I would say offensively, they didn't have much to brag about. Their run game was pretty stagnant. They lost T. Higgins in the second quarter to a concussion, which is troubling because he is such an important part of that team. What I can say is their defense did a solid job yesterday, the Cincinnati Bengals, because you want to talk about just chaos and no things not making sense. The Pittsburgh Steelers defense sacked Burrow six times yesterday, as I said. They forced five turnovers, including three interceptions. And yet it took a game-winning field goal in overtime as time expired for the Steelers to win the game. Now, why is that? 
Why is that? Why? Well, the Steelers couldn't score touchdowns. That's one of the big things. I will give them credit. Their first three turnovers, they turned that into 17 points. However, when they didn't have short fields, when they needed to drive the ball down the field a long distance, they were unable to do it. Their running game was completely invisible. Najee Harris could not get anything going. Warren couldn't get anything going. They tried to use Claypool, Deontay Johnson, different kind of run schemes. It's still not working. That offensive line cannot block for the run game. They simply, they've been a terrible running team forever. They're going to continue to be because their offensive line does not open any holes. Running backs run into the back of the offensive linemen. Before you know it, they're on the ground. So that's number one for the Steelers offense. But you're looking at Cincinnati. I mentioned all the overcome. They turned the ball over five times. Sacked six times. Lose T. Higgins. Can't really run the football. Nothing's going right. And yet you get a touchdown as time expires. And all you need is the, the extra point to win the game. Burrow throws a perfect out route at the goal line to Jamar Chase. Touchdown. Perfect play. Guy you're going to throw the ball to. You can't ask for anything better. Well, the long snapper got hurt for the Cincinnati Bengals, which isn't, a, which isn't a big deal until it's a big deal. Long snapper shirts, they bring in the backup. Not to mention, you don't see the Cincinnati special teams. Doesn't block well. Minka Fitzpatrick, who had a pick six, a pick six earlier in the game to open the scoring, blocks the extra point, which sends the game to overtime. Just inexcusable. No penetration. He was a guy that just got completely through. That's the second time in two weeks I've seen an extra point block to win a game. LSU blocked extra point against Florida State. And now this one. I don't care if it's a backup long snapper. I don't care if it's the quarterback hiking the ball to the punter that was going to hold it for Evan McPherson. Get your shit together. So that happens. Field goal kicking, special teams, I hate it all. Field goal kickers aren't even football players. But then we go to overtime. How about Chris Boswell? Field goal, right off the upright. For the win, they both got a possession, right off the upright, no good. But then they drive down the field. They're moving along pretty well. And the Steelers eventually do stop Cincinnati. They tackle Joe Burrow a few yards short of the first down, but it's going to be fourth down. Bring on Evan McPherson. This time, it's not blocked. Still the bad long snapper, but again, I don't care. He shanks the kick 80 yards left. This was a theme yesterday for field goal kickers. But Evan McPherson, who was clutch last year, not even close. I don't know what he was aiming for. I don't know what he saw. There was no block. It was not tipped. This was just a straight shank. It was straight unclutch. It was straight choke job from Evan McPherson. He shanks it by a quarter mile left. And then you drive back down the field, 
and eventually Chris Boswell hits a game-winning field goal to end the game. As time expired, in overtime. A walk-off touchdown. I can only describe this game as apoplectic. It was chaos. It It made no sense. How does a team that is plus five in turnover differential only win a game by three points at the last second of overtime? How? How does that happen? Somehow it did. I don't know how. Pittsburgh. Takeaways. Offense looked pretty inept. I don't blame it all on Mitch Trubisky because Mitch Trubisky is a quarterback that relies on a strong run game. They didn't have one. This offensive line still sucks for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Still no good. That's an issue. Big issue for the, for, for the Pittsburgh Steelers is you can't run the football, which is going to make Mitch Trubisky's life harder, and that doesn't guarantee that this offense is going to have any success because he's not a pocket passer. That's not the way he's going to succeed in this league. He's going to need his tight ends to be good. He'll take his chances when he has them. He needs to use his legs. There's no run pass option. There's no bootlegs. No defense is going to commit when they know your run game sucks. That's a huge issue for the Steelers team is winning at the line of scrimmage. They're not doing it. Other problem. It's reported that T.J. Watt tore his pec. Tore his pectoral. To me, uh, we'll talk about Dak Prescott later. That's The T.J. Watt injury is as important as the Dak Prescott injury is to Dallas. Yes, T.J. Watt's a pass rusher and Dak Prescott is a quarterback. T.J. Watt is their best player, period. He's the best player. He changes the way you approach a team. He makes Alex Highsmith that much better of a player. Alex Highsmith had a hell of a game yesterday. So did T.J. Watt. Interception, sack, tackle for a loss. He was all over the football. If he's not on the edge, it hurts that team massive. It hurts them in such a major way that their defense, alongside an offense that didn't look very good, are, are going to have some problems. They need to hope for the best and hope it's not a torn pack, because if it's a torn pectoral, he's out for the season. The reigning defensive player of the year. That is a huge blow to the Pittsburgh Steelers if he is gone for the year. They still have Cam Hayward. They still have Alex Highsmith. But TJ Watt is the is the straw that stirs the drink. And that will hurt the production of those two players in particular. I don't mind the receiving core. Johnson, Claypool played pretty well yesterday. Didn't make any stupid decisions with the football. I'll give him that. But if this team can't run the football and their defense is hindered because of injuries, they are not going anywhere. They just won't because they don't have enough firepower to overcome it. Cincinnati. If I'm Zach Taylor today, my one, I'll go over film. I can tell Burrow, for the most part, I can tell my defense to go home. Offensive line, you can't let this quarterback get killed. I'm sorry. Six sacks again? I don't care if it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's a divisional game. You should be up to play, not let your quarterback get killed time after time. It was, he got bludgeoned multiple times. He took big hits. They were all around him. 
He had no time in the pocket, and he made mistakes. The Minka Fitzpatrick throw, that's not a Joe Burrow play. It was a bad decision. Minka picks it off. It's, it's a pick six. T.J. Watt made a really good play to get his interception. And then Cameron Sutton made a pretty good play in the football. But again, he had pressure. I think if he was in the pocket and he was clean, he would have made a better throw. Turnovers, just poor decision-making from the Cincinnati team. Now, I don't worry a bit about Joe Burrow bouncing back because Joe Burrow will. Joe Burrow is too good of a quarterback not to come back next week and ball out. That offensive line, I don't know. It was almost crazy that Cincinnati won that game yesterday where they they almost won the game in the same type of situation that they did last year. Sacks, turnovers, they shouldn't win the game, and yet you do. If McPherson or the long snapper had their head in the game, they would have won. Would have kicked that extra point, they would have left Cincinnati with a win, a win they didn't deserve. They don't get to squeak out with a victory because of special teams. We see it hurt teams all the time. Kill Green, Green Bay lost to San Francisco last year in the NFC Divisional Round because of special teams, because they couldn't figure it out. Cincinnati lost the game yesterday in the, in the big moments because their special teams couldn't figure it out. They played horrible in the first half, but they bounced back. They were able to get back in the game. Their defense made plays. They got the Pittsburgh offense off the field. They were in a position to win. Special teams failed them. Kicking failed them. I don't worry about the Bengals so much. I mean, I do. I thought, actually, that's not true. I worried about them before. The, I don't worry about Joe Burrow. Do I worry about this team? Absolutely. Because they were a team of destiny last year to make it to the Super Bowl, and they had the exact same issues that they had this year. I don't buy that you can overcome that back-to-back seasons, not to mention how Joe's, Joe Burrow's body going to hold up. I think they're going to, and not to mention for Cincinnati, you got Dallas on Sunday. And yes, Dallas might have less of a quarterback, and their offense looked pathetic last night. But you know what? Their defense balled out. Micah Parsons had a hell of a game last night. D-Law played well. Trayvon, we'll get to doubt. Their defense is good. Tom Brady didn't play great last night. QBR this. Q, I watched the game. He didn't play that well. It's because of that defense. They made it life tough on him. Credit to Pittsburgh for getting all those turnovers, but you can't win a game in overtime like that when you force five turnovers and you don't turn the ball over. They protected the football, and they still almost lost the game. I worry about this offense because they simply can't run the ball. It's been the same thing for four years. They're trying to find an offensive line that they can incorporate the run. They still can't do it. Plus, Najee got hurt. So might, Najee Harris might be hurt, and then also T.J. Watt potentially could be out for the season as we await word on his torn pectoral. You get a win, but at what cost? It could be a major one for I wanted to talk about the Dolphins and 
how I would describe their offense if you didn't watch them yesterday. If you didn't watch Miami defeat the New England Patriots in relatively easy fashion. I would describe the Miami offense as a death by a thousand cuts, which what I mean by that is the Miami offense uses lots of motion. 75% of their plays yesterday, they were using motion of their offensive plays. They use their skilled players in a variety of different ways. Tyree Kill in particular, Jalen Waddell as the game got along, Cedric Wilson in the second half. But it's not big plays. It's not Patrick Mahomes to Tyree Kill down the field like he did it in Kansas City. It's not Dan Marino throwing deep balls down the field. This Miami offense is little short passes, picking up some yardage, getting some uh, end-around leads, using small plays. You might get five, six plays, five, six yards of play. There might be long drives, but you'll eventually get a field goal. You'll get some points, and that's my takeaway from yesterday. I, I thought the Miami offense was adequate. They used Tyreek Hill very creatively, as I mentioned. Their running game wasn't fantastic. They still need to iron that out, I, in my mind, because you didn't see a whole lot of... Chase Edmonds, who's incredibly quick, didn't have a great day. Raheem Mostert didn't get a whole lot of looks. Tyreek Hill, using him in the run game, was actually more effective than, than the running backs. But you saw some positive things. I thought the touchdown pass at the end of the first half, which was a fourth down gamble with, tw- with 24 seconds to go with no timeouts, was an incredibly gutsy play by my new head coach Mike McDaniel, who Tua hit Jalen Waddle on a slant, which was a picture-perfect throw, I'll give him that. He hits him right in stride, and Jalen Waddle shreds through the secondary of New England, beats three guys to the house which made it 17-0 at the half, and basically ended the game. That was the play of the game. That was the, that was the, the, the nail in the coffin, and it was at halftime. But you saw different things. Tyreek Hill coming back to the football, two would hit him. Using Durham Smythe in the, in the running game, using checkdowns. It wasn't explosive. I wouldn't call it an impressive day for the Miami offense. I still think they need to to show more, but you get a win to start the year and you'll take it. They, they have a lot to work on. I think for a lot of these teams that have, and I just talked about Pittsburgh, Miami's in the same situation. Two is no better than Mitch Trubisky. He isn't. I think he's a little more accurate. Mitch is more athletic because Tua doesn't really run the football that effectively anymore. But you're, you're looking at a similar prototype. You're looking at a guy that is a fringe starter that needs a lot of help around him to succeed. Look at two in Miami. He's got, he's got Tyreek. He's got Cedric Wilson. He's got Gasecki, who was completely irrelevant, was not involved yesterday because he can't block and wasn't used in the pass game. And, of course, Jalen Waddle. You have two elite receivers. In Pittsburgh, they're lesser. I like Claypool. Deontay Johnson can make big catches. You got Pat Fryermuth, a tight end who, who I absolutely love, who can just make any catch you need them to and also block. So they have they have really good weapons around them. But for these two teams to be successful, the running game needs to be a component. And it's something that Mike uh, Mike McDaniel, who worked with Kyle Shanahan, that was that's Kyle Shanahan's trademark, is he works with quarterbacks that you wouldn't describe as elite. 
really the only elite quarterback he's had in his career was Matt Ryan. The season Matt Ryan won his one and only MVP, and the Falcons got to the Super Bowl. Other than that, he's worked with Kirk D. Cousins, who had a great start yesterday. We'll talk about that game. He's worked with RG3, but that was a short period of time. Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Mullins, C.J. Beathard. So it's been a plethora of different quarterbacks where the running game is so important to the quarterback, to the team's ultimate success. Well, I think Miami needs to start in court, needs to find a way to do that more efficiently. Where I would say Miami's offense, if I had to rate it out of 10, I would give it a 6 because you did have some big plays, but you only put up three points in the entire second half. And it was, you had your moments where I thought the game could have went back into New England's hands. But the biggest thing for Miami, I will give them, is their defense. Their defense came to play yesterday. Miami secondary has a couple of studs. Xavier Howard and Javon Holland are two ballers in the secondary, not to mention they also have Byron Jones, who was out the first couple weeks of the season because of an injury. But those two, at those two corner positions, you have Javon Holland as a safety who just kind of floats everywhere. The Miami Dolphins secondary is as elite as it gets in the National Football League. Not to mention Brandon Jones, who I like a lot. He was flying all over the place yesterday. He, on a play, safety blitz, he pops up. Mac Jones doesn't see him. Strip sack, Melvin Ingram picks up, scoop and score, which led to a touchdown for the Miami Dolphins. So their defense had a lot of speed. Christian Wilkins had a good day. Just New England didn't get a whole lot going. They they had their opportunities at times, but then there was a pick, a turnover, or something happened to, to this New England offense that just staggered their team. And it wasn't the greatest day for Mac Jones as well. Looking at New England's offense, they had one impressive drive that led to points. That was a 15-play, 92-yard, eight-minute drive to start the second half. This was Mac Jones establishing the short passing game. He had four passes to tight ends on the drive. He used Ramondre Stevenson, who I like a lot, second-year running back at the University of Oklahoma. He was used on the drive, but it was the same old thing for New England where their offense yesterday has no character. It has nothing distinguished about it. This worked when you had Tom Brady. Yesterday, they were a joke. They were pathetic, that offense. Mac Jones Mac Jones is Mac Jones. He's a mid-level quarterback. He doesn't have a big arm. Sorry, Patriots fans. I had to hear it all offseason from different people. Mac Jones has a big arm. Mac Jones is a gun... Mac Jones is as much a gunslinger as I am. I've shot one gun in my life. He's not a gunslinger. He can't throw the ball down the field. He's accurate on short passes. Him and Tua both went to Alabama because they were the same damn guy except Mac had no athletic ability. They both didn't throw a great deep ball. It's easy to throw a deep ball right on target when you have no coverage. Yesterday, the Dolphins were wrapping people up now, it doesn't help Mac Jones that his receivers couldn't get open. It doesn't help him that his receivers aren't that good, quite frankly. But that wasn't, I mean, I said this in the preseason. 
to me, this was always a, a big deal. I listened to Dan Patrick. He tried to downplay it, saying it's not a big deal that New England doesn't have an offensive coordinator. And it's only one week, but I still – I said before the year, I don't think New England's making the playoffs. I'm going to stand by that. Not to mention I'm even more confident in that pick because Matt Wright, isn't, who is a friend of the show, great friend of mine, appears on here on Fridays. He's a huge Patriots fan, huge Notre Dame fan. The weekend couldn't have went worse for him. Not to mention I picked Marshall plus points on two tickets, which I both hit. What a weekend. Love Marshall. Good to see the Irish lose a game. Well, they lose most games recently. But a tough weekend for him. But Miami just, they didn't, they didn't bring anything. Miami didn't play great yesterday, and yet they won comfortably. It was never in doubt. For New England's defense, I love Kyle Duggar. He had a hell of a game yesterday. Their pass rush didn't really affect too well that much. He missed throws that he should have made at times. For New England, whether it, the offensive coordinator is Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, I'm not excited about either. I don't want either guy. And you're telling me it's one of the two? That's not That's not a good result for me. I think both these teams are work in progress. I don't have either team making the playoffs I did before the year, although my Jacksonville Jaguars lost yesterday to Commanders, so that obviously hurts that prediction. But I look around and say, New England, you didn't give much to a quarterback that requires a lot to be good. You can at least look at Miami and say they did a lot to try to improve Tua, who is a mid-level quarterback. They threw a lot of great wide receivers around him so that he can have some success. They can at least do everything. They did everything they could so that he can have some success so that the Dolphins could try to break a, a playoff drought, a playoff win drought that's gone over 20 years at this point. I look at New England. Belichick just seems content with being mediocre, with being a 7-10 and 10 team. Beating the teams that you should beat on your schedule, that seems to be where he's at. Not to mention Mac Jones hurt his back in this game. He's hurting, questionable, the listing on the depth chart for Sunday's game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Meaning it could be Brian Hoyer. Could you imagine seeing another Brian Hoyer guy? That would be the end of Brian Hoyer as a starting quarterback in this league. He might get the start. We're waiting here. It's a long week for Mac Jones, but he got hit. They didn't play well. They bitched about calls all day. It was just it was a bad day for New England. Hot as hell in Miami. I get it. You're not used to the conditions. But you you put up seven points. Seven points? That's all you could come up with. Tough day for the Patriots. Tough, tough day for the Patriots. Let's go. I'll go to the 5 o'clock games in a second. Let's. I'm going to. I got to talk about this. Kickers. I hate kickers. Let's talk about Evan McPherson. The Colts. My Colts. As Matt Wright texted me yesterday saying, My Colts. I, know, I never knew I, I took over the Colts. I have them winning the division. And my Colts. 
his Patriots. He has he has them making the playoffs. We'll see. Jodas. He also had Notre Dame making finishing inside the top ten, which I feel very good about that bet since they're not ranked this weekend against Cal. Very confident they won't be. <laughs> but how about the Colts? My Colts, if that's how you want to label them. They go to they rally against the Houston Texans, which they shouldn't have been down to Houston to begin with, but they are. Jonathan Taylor has a huge day running the football. Michael Pittman seems to be the only target for Matt Ryan, but they're in a position with two minutes left in the overtime to kick a game-winning field goal. Out trots out Rodrigo Blankenship, who looks like he's a librarian who just piled a stack of books. He reads Shakespeare and, and Hemingway, and he's probably a fan of the royal family. That's how I look at Rodrigo Blankenship. Huge glasses on him, and he just does. He looks like a guy that's been shoving some lockers in his life. And what happens? A chance to walk off in Houston to salvage this game. He shanks one so bad. It's not even close again. Another kicker that just comes up woefully short. And blank and ship turns into blank and shit. And he sends it way left. And the Colts end up tying Houston. That is a loss for the Colts, if you ask me. Tying the worst team in your division is not anything to be proud of. Credit to Houston. They battled. O.J. Howard, who's been cut by three teams in the last two years, had two touchdown receptions. Davis Mills played well. The entire Houston team battled the whole way. They had leads. Credit to Lovey Smith's defense. Credit to a lot of teams yesterday. But there was upsets. Chicago Bears beat the Niners. Oy vey. The Bears stink so bad, and they beat the Niners yesterday. Justin Fields, I feel so bad for. He got killed yesterday again. Terrible conditions. And yet he battled. He showed some spirit yesterday. He showed heart. And I give him so much credit for getting that win yesterday because they had no business getting it. No business. He fought through that game. He battled. He ran when he had to. He made plays with his arm when he had to. two touchdown passes. Credit to Justin. I love Justin Fields, as you guys know. I want him to succeed. Good for the good for Justin. Screw the Bears. I'm not happy about the Bears. I'm happy for Justin Fields and that crap team that they put around him. But they beat the Niners. 49ers. I'm not going to panic yet, but if, if there was an overreaction Monday that would make the most sense, it's the Niners. My, one of my Super Bowl teams. You lost to the Bears. The worst team in football. You lost to the effing Bears. Trey Lance did not look good. Did not look good yesterday. And there's another injury in the NFC North. At the, and there's another injury in the NFC at the quarterback position. I don't think San Francisco's going to give him up. Because they're not I don't know if they're real stable with their quarterback position right now because he certainly didn't look comfortable yesterday. I think he's gonna get better, but there's no easier opponent on your schedule than the Chicago Bears. 49ers gotta find a quick they got one of the most talented rosters in all of football, period. But if you don't have a quarterback that can play, you don't get a chance. Not to mention Elijah Mitchell left the game with a knee injury, the running back. Tough day. 
for the Niners. They want to get the hell out of Chicago because that was an ugly, ugly loss for the Bay Area. Mentioned Washington beat the Jags. I thought the Jags would win that game. They didn't. Commanders, Carson Wentz played pretty well. Jahan Dotson, Penn State wide receiver, had two touchdown receptions. Looks like a good weapon already alongside Terry McLaurin. Just the Commanders are just scooping up Big Ten wide receivers. And I'll mention Washington back into the conversation in a bit because it loops back into the Cowboys. And before we go to the 5 o'clock games, Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers. I would be so happy for the Cleveland Browns today, and I can't. And here's why. They can win a bunch of games. I don't think they'll win that many, although they do have the Jets next week who look horrid yesterday. Nevertheless, they have a number of games with Jacoby Brissett as quarterback with this team. But if they have success, then I'll mention his name, Deshaun Watson, the scumbag of the NFL who I'll never embrace. I don't like him. Fuck Deshaun Watson. He'll come back and be rewarded for this team working hard, and maybe they have some success. I don't want him to have success. I want Deshaun Watson to have none. He doesn't deserve to play, and yet he's making more money than anybody in the NFL. Making more money than Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers, all these guys that didn't haven't done anything like he's done. The Haslam family's being rewarded, and it's sad. That'll change, don't get me wrong. But for Carolina... First four drives, you don't get a first down. First four drives, you get 21 yards on offense. Baker Mayfield throws an interception. And yeah, he, he has a good second half, Baker Mayfield. Se second half, he went 10 for 20, which, again, it's good, not great. Two touchdowns, and you got back in the game. But you lost. Because KD York, a rookie, hit a 58-yard field goal to win it. Credit to him, the one guy who made a kick yesterday in a big moment, a rookie, for Christ's sake. But Cade York, with eight seconds left on the clock, put the Browns ahead, and that was it. Baker Mayfield reportedly said he wanted to fuck the Cleveland Browns up. Well, he didn't do it. He played like crap. Matt Rule looked panicked on the sideline because he knows his job's on the line. Christian McCaffrey had 34 yards rushing. Very little impact on the game. Carolina, again, it's bigger when you lose one of your gimmies. For the 49ers, it's a gimme to beat the Bears you didn't. For Carolina, it's a gimme to beat Cleveland because your, your, your uh, schedule only gets tougher. New Orleans, to their credit, rallied yesterday. They rallied over Atlanta. They at least got the win. Plus, Michael Thomas got two touchdowns, got a feel back into the offense. That's a good, that's a good uh, momentum, good mojo for him and for Jameis Winston, who had a terrible first half, only 24-yards passing. But they rallied. Credit to Cleveland. Their offensive line is still fantastic. Nick Chubb ran for over 150 yards. Kareem Hunt had two touchdowns. They just had massive holds. They got yardage whenever they wanted to, and Jacoby Brissett made big throws when he had to. He wasn't fantastic, but he didn't have to be. He made the throws he had to, and their run game played fantastic, and they got a couple turnovers.
again, I want this to be a good story for Cleveland because I have nothing against, well, I, have, I have everything against their ownership. I have everything against that stooge that they have a, a quarterback, the one that's not playing currently. So I can't embrace it. But I, sh I want to because it's a good story, Cleveland. The shit franchise. They make it so difficult. They could just do the right thing, but they didn't. But nevertheless, we move on. Cleveland Jets next weekend. That'll be a – be sure to watch that game. Now I'm going to skip a few games here to go to last night's Sunday Night Football because it has ripple effects on other games yesterday. Which Sunday Night Football, if you didn't get to see it, was – the Tampa, Bay Buc uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers visiting the Dallas Cowboys. Of course, the Cowboys in the first Sunday night game of the year because they're the Cowboys. They don't deserve to be in a primetime game. But I digress. This is about money and not. This is about privilege and not success. Much like the Maple Leafs in hockey. Well, I look at the game last night as a whole. Because I watched the whole thing, of course. And as I'm watching it, I say... Dallas's defense is doing a really good job. Tampa's having good drives. They're being creative offensively. They're they're using Julio Jones on end around screens. On they're using him in the run game, and he looks like he's the old Julio. He's moving fast, and they throw him a, a pass down the field in the third quarter for a forty-eight yard pickup. It's crazy. It looks he looks like he's been living in a fountain of youth. He looks like the old Julio Jones that was in Atlanta. Tom Brady just seems to be able to find guys that can turn back the clock. But all throughout the first half, all even in the third quarter primarily, it's field goals for the Bucks. They hit four field goals and they also missed six, suck up, missed a 36 yarder, and Tom Brady is snapping. His offensive line is, is giving up sacks. Micah Parsons got two sacks on Brady, and he's giving it to his offensive lineman as they go to the sideline. He had a few drops in the first half. Chris Godwin hurt was hurt. He left the game. Probably shouldn't have played, if you ask me, because he tore his ACL last year, and he came back a little early. Gallup didn't play yesterday. George Kittle didn't play after a big injury. So sometimes it's better to wait a week. He decided to play, re-injured himself. We'll see how serious it is. But it was a frustrating first half for the Tampa Bay offense, in particular Tom Brady, who's not used to getting to the red zone and not putting up touchdowns. So, all in all for the game, I thought Tampa's offense was adequate. The best thing I can say about them is their offense, their offensive line in the run game was fantastic. They, Leonard Fournette ran, rushed for over 100 yards. He had big holes. He looked incredibly productive. He looked fast. He came to camp overweight, but he looks in shape now. He looked like a gazelle out there. So that's a positive sign for this Tampa Bay run game. When it comes to pass blocking, they were not good, as I mentioned. But Leonard Fournette looked in shape, looked ready, looked good, and they opened up holes for him. And that's a key part of this offense as well, is just getting Leonard Fournette going, getting him involved in the run game and seeing what he can do. So kudos to, to that part of it. They did end up putting putting up one touchdown where Tom Brady found Mike Evans, but it was really an inconsequential part of the game. 
for Dallas. They entered the game without Amari Cooper because he was traded to Cleveland. Without Michael Gallup, he's returning from a torn ACL. Without Blake Jarwin, who's cut, now a free agent at tight end. You're looking at C.D. Lamb, who hasn't proven himself to be a number one receiver, although everybody labels him as one. Noah Brown, who I believe had 12 career catches going into the game. And a bunch of rookies and Dalton Schultz, the tight end who's playing under the franchise tag. Well, last night was a combination of ineptitude from a multitude of sources. I thought the wide receivers for Dallas couldn't get open. The DBs for Tampa Bay, Carlton Davis, Sean Murphy bunting, Antoine Winfield Jr. who had a beautiful pass breakup on a pass to C.D. Lamb. He saved a big play, got his paw on the football, knocked it down on a third down play. Incredible play from Antoine Winfield Jr., one of the best safeties in the NFL. He had a, he had, they all had a great game. It was a combination of both because I thought their secondary played great with safety help. And also, the Dallas receivers just couldn't get open. C.D. Lamb found out what it was like to be a number one receiver because he was getting doubled the entire night. Tampa knew he's their number one option. And Dak was forced a lot of the time just to dump it off to Dalton Schultz or to throw a screen pass to Zeke Elliott, and that was going nowhere because they blew it up. Tampa's defense played as good as you're going to play last night. But before the fourth quarter... Dak didn't play great. He was inconsistent. He missed throws that he should make. I thought he would, they were, I thought the, the Dallas offense was so just lazy. It was not creative. Ezekiel Elliott was getting the ball five yards behind the line of scrimmage, asking him to beat out guys, asking the offensive line to do more than they were capable of last night. And it was a just a disastrous play. Rule number one against the Tampa Bay defense is you can't really run the ball against them. It makes it extremely difficult to beat them because it's so difficult to run the ball. And yes, your receivers are, but you need to do you need to throw screens. You need to do something to get this offense going. They end up putting up three points off a of Brett Maher field goal. They were lucky to get that. But to the fourth quarter, where Shaq Barrett gets a bull rush. Dak Prescott has to get the ball away, he throws it, and his thumb hits the helmet of Shaq Barrett. He plays a few, has a few more downs, and then he runs to the sideline, and he's grasping his thumb, talking to team doctors. In comes Cooper Rush. He finishes the game. The game's over at this point. Doesn't mean a thing. And I'm just, I'm watching. I'm super tired. I want to go to bed, but I'm like, well, what's the injury? I can't go to bed without knowing what the extended injury was. So I'm sitting on the couch listening to post-game interviews. And I learned that Dak Prescott has a broken thumb, basically. He's going to need surgery on that thumb, and he's going to miss six to eight weeks. Six to eight weeks, basically the timeline of Russell Wilson's injury last year, where by the time he returned for the Seahawks, their season was over. They went 1-4 and four in his absence, and he couldn't do enough when he came back to get the Seahawks back into a playoff-type scenario. This is likely game over for the Dallas Cowboys. Likely game over because Cooper Rush is 
an okay backup. He won a game. He played at one start last year. He won it in Minnesota. Kudos to him. But he's just, he's not an athletic guy. He's just in the pocket. He'll throw you a football. I'll put it this way. I think Will Greer, their number three quarterback, is better than Cooper Rush. But Cooper Rush has always been the best. Both Cooper Rush and Will Greer were cut in training camp. They were actually both signed to the practice squad, and then Cooper Rush, Cooper Rush was elevated to the active roster before the game started on game day. So this was not a position that Jerry Jones prioritized. This was not a position where he looked and said, what can I do to improve it? He knew Dak was injury-prone. He missed an entire season, and he stuck with Cooper Rush and Will Greer. And in game one, Dak Prescott goes down, and now all hell is breaking loose in Dallas, Texas. I see a couple of solutions here for Dallas. Solution number one is call up San Francisco and see what they want for Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo restructured his contract, $7.5 million. Dallas is over $20 million in salary cap. They can afford to take on Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo, at a starting quarterback, gives the team a chance to be competitive while Dak is out. I think they can go 500 with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, and then Dak can return, and you can see if he can push to win a, a division that I don't expect to be that competitive the entire season, but maybe it will. That's solution one. There would be solution two if you try to acquire Gardner Minshew from the Philadelphia Eagles, but the Philadelphia Eagles are not going to trade a quarterback to their division rival. They're not trading Minshew to Dallas, so that's not going to happen. Really, it's Garoppolo or bust. If it's not Garoppolo, this is what the, season, the season's over if it's Cooper Rush for the Dallas Cowboys. Their defense played fantastic. They're not beating the Cincinnati Bengals next week with Cooper Rush. I don't think they're beating a division team. with. They're not beating the Eagles with Cooper Rush, that's for sure. I don't even know if they can beat the Giants in week three with Cooper Rush because the Giants won a game yesterday in Tennessee on the road, a huge victory for that franchise. If it's Cooper Rush, the season goes awry. I'm not rushing Dak back because Dallas, you might as well take a high draft pick. You might as well try to get the best draft pick that you can. You might as well tank, if you will, and see what you can do to improve this roster because why win games for no reason? You have no reason to win games at this at, at that point. Why get why get to 7-10? and 10? That's, You're going to pick in the middle of the first round. It doesn't really help you. You're getting a, a middle-of-the-road player when you can draft higher. You're not going to It's hard to tank in football, but it's, it, it's not that hard when your quarterback is not good enough to win. Jerry Jones is desperate to win. I think he's going to try everything he can to get Jimmy Garoppolo to San Francisco. If I'm San Francisco, I'm not trading Dak to an NFC team. Not to mention, I'm not trading Jimmy Garoppolo away because Trey Lance looked horrible yesterday in a loss to the damn Chicago Bears while you were a seven-point favorite, I might add. Dow, I mean, Jerry Jones didn't address the position. He didn't spend all that much money in free agency. The team's not... I, Dallas was not making the playoffs even if Dak played every game this year. They weren't. Their roster is not that great. Ezekiel Elliott had a burst in the first drive. After that, he had nothing last night. Didn't look spry. Tony Pollard can't block. He's, he can't be on the field at all times. The receiver room stinks. 
Yes, their defense is very good under Dan Quinn, but that's the only part of, the, uh, of their team that I like. Brett Maher made a field goal. Okay, good for him. He's back in the, in the NFL. He's a former CFL kicker. Happy to see that. But come on. It's tough. He missed that entire year with an ankle injury. Now he hurts his thumb. Once you have, you get an injury, you're an injury prone forever, and you're more likely to get another one. This is a fluke injury. But again, they come in waves. This doesn't signify Dak Prescott as end of a, a starting quarterback in the NFL. And he's under contract long term. But we're, to me, Dallas has a couple of solutions, and Cooper Rush is not one of them if they want to be competitive. They want to try to, to get back in this division to win it because I look around. Washington won yesterday. I don't think Washington's a great team. But I will put it this way. Dotson looked better than I thought he'd be as a rookie. Two, two receiving touchdowns. The kid can play. Not to mention you have Terry McLaurin. You have Logan Thomas. They have a decent offense. And Carson Wentz isn't bad. He has his flaws. He'll screw up in big games. But he isn't bad. The running game. Yeah. But if Chase Young can return on that defense, he will after the first couple games of the season. I think he's missing the first four coming from a torn ACL. Maybe he can make something happen there. Giants win their first game. I'm not going to overreact to a Giants victory. Tomorrow I'm going to talk to Seamus about my best sports moment from the weekend. It, it, it comes from the Giants game. But the Giants win again. Brian Dable is giving this team hope. Not to mention this injury should give this division hope that maybe you can compete. Maybe you can fight. Maybe you can battle. And not to mention the Eagles yesterday where they score four rushing touchdowns by four different players. 38-35 to 35 slugfest in Detroit where they came out on top. Kudos to Detroit for fighting back, but Jalen Hurts rushes for 90 yards. Boston Scott scores a touchdown. You had Miles Sanders has scored a touchdown. Four different, running, four different runners had a touchdown yesterday. For the Philadelphia Eagles, A.J. Brown had 10 receptions for over 150 yards receiving. He's already got a great connection with Jalen Hurts. Eagles defense needs to settle in. I think they will. They get one of the, one of the best defenses in all of football. This division is open. Because I, I had the, the last team making the playoffs in the NFC being the Carolina Panthers. And I'm not off that yet, but I will say yesterday's loss is a kick in the groin for that pick. Because I thought that was an easy win for Carolina to get on the right path. Because you got Tampa twice, you have New Orleans twice. So you got you got some tough tough division games. Not to mention you got to play some tough teams with that as well. So you, you need to to play. You need to start finding it sooner rather than later. Because that was I thought that was a win you get. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that a Washington could sneak in potentially. That might be an overreaction. To, to their game yesterday against the Jags where they won at home. Well, even though it wasn't really a home game because nobody goes to Washington games. But for Dallas Cowboys fans, you haven't won, you haven't been to an NFC Championship game since 95. 1990, the Dallas Cowboys. That's, that streak's going to continue. It was going to continue this year anyway. They weren't making the playoffs. So I... I don't think this is a doomsday. I heard doomsday on all this. It wasn't doomsday because you weren't making the playoffs to begin with. You weren't going to have a whole bunch of success with this team. I'm sorry, Dallas fans. I know there's a lot out of you. 
But hey, at least Texas won this weekend. Oh, wait. They almost won, but they didn't. Tough weekend in the Lone Star State. Texas A&M lost. Texas lost. Some other teams in that area that lost too. Tough weekend for Texas. Everything, everything's bigger in Texas except for the championships, I guess, because there is none. Sorry. Minnesota Vikings defeated the Green Bay Packers yesterday like I predicted they would. At home. And I look at the game as a whole. The Minnesota Vikings and offense were impressive. Justin Jefferson, to me, he's going to be the best receiver in football after this year. Two touchdowns, almost had 200 yards and 184 yards receiving yesterday. He just flies over the all over the field. You can't. I mean, Jair Alexander is a great cover corner. He he couldn't do anything with Justin Jefferson yesterday. Rasul Douglas. It didn't matter who it was. Eric Stokes. He burned them. Thielen did as well on Stokes a number of times. It was just a really good day for Minnesota wide receivers. And the Green Bay defense, which I think was fair before the year, to label this defense the best defense in the NFL because they're that talented. They have that much going for them. Great pass rush would be the weakest element. But the secondary, the linebacker core was Sean Gary with Quay Walker, who did look good yesterday, who was in his first in his first great NFL game. Jair Alexander, Russell Douglas, Eric Stokes in, in, the, in the secondary. They got torched yesterday. They played terrible. Kirk Cousins had all day to throw the football. And it was, just, it was an easy day at the office. Pitch and catch for Jefferson and Kirk Cousins. Thielen got involved. It was, it was beautiful to watch for, the, for Minnesota. And this is where you look at Minnesota and think they're going to be a playoff team because Kirk Cousins is accurate when he – when he wants to be. Justin Jefferson is such an elite talent. He, if Kirk Cousins isn't even that accurate, he can make incredible catches that make that make Kirk look better than he actually is. So what what a performance from, from Minnesota yesterday as a whole. I thought they took shots down the field, their offense, I their receivers push upfield. And it's such an it's a great feeling to have when you have a quarterback that you know can throw a strike down the field, even if you run 20 to 25 yards, which Kirk Cousins can. I talked about Trubisky with Tua. I don't think you'd have that much confidence in the quarterback doing it. Kirk can throw it down the field. He can put it on you, and you get a big chunk of yardage. And they had that yesterday. But Justin Jefferson is such a weapon on offense that he can change the way your team plays. He was on the team last year with Mike Zimmer. I look at yesterday with Kevin O'Connell, the movement. Justin Jefferson wasn't just in the slot. He'd go outside. He'd go inside. He'd cut over. They had to chase him all over. the. He's such a great athlete. They had to chase him all over the field. Last season, it was, it was Gary uh, Clint Kubiak, and he Jefferson was always in the slot. He had a great season, over 1,800 yards receiving, but he's such a talent. Use him everywhere in the passing game, and even if he's running one way, Two guys might go with him. That leaves Thielen wide open. I mean, Osborne might be over. Irv Smith Jr. could be open. And you saw that yesterday. I thought Cousins played well. I thought Jefferson might have been the player of the day in all of football. 
no, maybe other than Patrick Mahomes, but he was right there. I mean, two touchdowns, nine receptions, 184 yards, both career highs. That's a hell of a day for Justin Jefferson to start off his his new the new campaign. And not to mention, I thought the Minnesota defense played well, played really well. I I love watching Eric Hendricks, the middle linebacker, play football. He's all over the ball. He's flying around. Dantzler did a great job. You have him in the secondary. Minnesota played well. Minnesota played real. They got the Eagles next week on Monday Night Football. It's a doubleheader on Monday Night Football next week. Minnesota will be in Philadelphia. That's an interesting game between two teams that started the year 1-0. But I, I like Minnesota's offense. I like the way that Kevin O'Connell used his offensive weapons in the first game of the season, and they need to continue to grow on it. But I, I thought he showed a lot of interesting wrinkles to an offense that might have been the most predictable and the most stagnant in the NFL last year. Green Bay, on the other hand, did not have a good day. And I'm not – If my level of concern on the Green Bay offense is a 3 out of 10. And the reason it's a 3 out of 10 is because the quarterback is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers had his first game without Devontae Adams in a very long time. Devontae Adams had two touchdowns in the Raiders' loss to the Chargers, where Derek Carr didn't have the greatest day through three interceptions, which was a big reason why the Chargers edged out the Raiders at home. But uh, you look yesterday, the leading receiver for the Green Bay Packers was A.J. Dillon, the running back. Rodgers didn't seem to trust any one of his receivers. Christian Watson, the rookie, early in the second round, had two targets. He had one catch yesterday. Alan Lazard didn't play, so that was a big loss. Tanyan had two catches, recovering from an injury. Romeo Dobbs, a rookie, did have four receptions for 37 yards, but they were really uneventful. They're not something you remember. And Aaron Jones had five catches as well. So his running backs combined for nine catches yesterday. Wide receivers combined for 10 catches. All the receivers combined at 10, running backs had nine. It was just a poor offensive day for Green Bay where you see Green Bay's using the running backs, but then they get down, it's a fourth and goal from the one, and A.J. Dillon gets stuffed. That normally doesn't happen. A.J. Dillon's such a thick running back. Aaron Rodgers didn't have a whole lot of time in the pocket. He had pressure on him. Preston Smith, sorry, Zadarius Smith, his old teammate, got a sack on him. That was a big moment. He tried to throw a block on Zadarius Smith. He got blown up. He was frustrated. He was yelling the entire game. He threw an interception, which he only threw four all of last year. But they lost to the Saints last year by 40 points in an opener. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have great starts to the season. I'm a little more concerned than last year because I, I don't think he trusts any of these receivers yet. But there's practice time. There's time for him to figure out who's going to be his number one guy. He, and, uh, he threw his interception. He was targeting Randall Cobb, who you'd think he'd trust the most. Didn't go well on that play. Romeo Dobbs might be that guy. I think Christian Watson needs to earn that trust, needs to earn that respect, and needs to do it quick because Aaron can forget about you. He did it to Marquez Valdez-Scantling last year, and before you know it, Valdez-Scantling 
was completely out of the rotation and he wasn't even he was on the play but just as a as a decoy where he would not throw Valdez Scantling the ball even if he was wide open down the field. My bigger concern is the Green Bay defense. I talked about how I thought their unit was one of the best units in all of football, all of the NFL, and they laid an egg yesterday. They didn't play well. They didn't bring anything to the table. I expected more from some of these great players. You knew who you were playing from, from the get-go. You knew you were playing an explosive offense. You couldn't cover these receivers. You couldn't deal with Justin Jefferson, and it was apparent. Not to mention the soft coverage a lot of the time, I thought, where they're covering Thielen. They're giving him way too much respect. Play press against him. He's not a guy that just breaks open. Not a guy that is a is a burner, and yet they give him that much respect, which I, I don't understand. Soft coverage against most teams to me. I like playing press because you make the receiver – Tough. I look at the Miami Dolphins. They played a lot of press coverage, which helped them. It led to an inter- Xavier Howard playing press, catch the ball in the air, Javon Holland gets an interception. That's what happens. You need to force teams into tough throws with these quarterbacks. If you can't hit the quarterback anymore, they weren't calling a lot of pass interference calls yesterday. We heard about defensive holding. It was I thought the officiating across the board yesterday in the NFL was pretty good. Now, there were games where it got a little excessive to me. Yeah, sure. But for the most part, I thought officiating was good yesterday because they didn't take over the game. They didn't make it about them. They just let them play. But for, for Jai Alexander, who got the most money by a corner in, in the history of the NFL, for Stokes, for Russell Douglas, for that defense, you are the heartbeat of this team. This offense is going to take some time to get, to get used to one another. For Aaron Rodgers to find rapport with guys and have that sense of trust. Now you could argue, well, we're going to have an easy game to do that because on Sunday night we got the Bears. All I know is that the Bears are tied for first in this division with the Vikings and the, and the Green Bay Packers are tied for last right now. That's going to change by the end of the year, but that's where we stand currently. Green Bay was 0-1 to start last year. They were fine. They won the division. Aaron Rodgers won his second straight MVP. But I do want to see progress. You don't want to see this unit fall back under Joe Barry any more than, than they did this weekend because it wasn't a good effort by that Green Bay defense. Now, one of my Super Bowl picks, San Francisco, laid an egg yesterday. Terrible. Didn't bring anything to the table. Offensively, they were just completely inept. But then there was the Kansas City Chiefs visiting the Arizona Cardinals. Oh. All I heard about for months and months was Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills, and how Pat, even the, the players voted Patrick Mahomes as the eighth best player in the National Football League, which is the most asinine thing I've heard in a long time. But that's what they said. That's what the players said in the league, and clearly it's jealousy, and people just don't want to accept how good he is. They voted for the old man who isn't as good as Patrick Mahomes. I'm sorry, Patriots Nation, Bucks Nation. This isn't. Still good at 45. He's not Patrick Mahomes. Well, Mahomes looked healthy yesterday. Chiefs offense was, was without Tyree Kill. How about Mahomes? Five touchdowns yesterday. Kelsey. Juju. 
Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Pacheco ran in a touchdown. The Kansas City Chiefs laid a beatdown on the Cardinals in Arizona. Mahomes didn't play the last eight minutes of the fourth quarter. He was Chad Henney came in. Kyler Murray, that wasn't even a close game. The Chiefs defense played well. Chris Jones had a forced fumble. Great coverage by the Chiefs. Their defense did hold up early in the game. And Mahomes was just surgical. He'd go to Kelsey. Or he'd go to Juju, who had a good first game as a Chief. McCole Hardman. Tape it off to his running backs. He took what was available to him, and he had a, a picture-perfect day. Josh Allen's on the road. Patrick Mahomes is on the road. You could argue that the Rams were a tougher opponent. Okay? Josh Allen threw two interceptions, three touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes went 5-0. and all. This isn't an overreaction. This is common sense, and this is just knowing football. Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the league, and it's not even, maybe other than Aaron Donald, but he's the best offensive player in the NFL, period. To me, it's not even that close. This Josh Allen slurping, this Tom Brady slurping needs to stop. Yes, Tom Brady's very good, and he's 45, and he's playing great. He played like shit last night. He didn't play good. Watch the game. Josh Allen played okay against the Rams. They won the game. The Rams stunk, and Josh Allen had three turnovers himself. Mahomes had none yesterday. I shouldn't have to defend Patrick Mahomes and his ranking, but unfortunately I have to because there's too many stupid people around. How is Mahomes not – how is he not in the top five, number one? How is he not number one? All I know is that the Chiefs looked pretty damn good yesterday. My Super Bowl pick. They look good. Kelsey looked good. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire looked pretty good. Pacheco, they dropped in the seventh round, was running the football in the fourth quarter. He looked like he had a little burst. Jarek McKinnon in the running game. I don't know, but to me, they look like they didn't need Tyreek Hill. Juju, MBS, Kelsey, Nicole Hardman. Gray at tight end. Fortson caught a touchdown yesterday. I don't know. Maybe they should be panicking in Kansas City without Tyreek Hill. Maybe people should. Maybe we should just put everybody above Patrick Mahomes because there is so many players that are better than him. I pick Herbert for MVP. I'm going to stick with that. Chargers beat the Raiders in their opening game of the year. Herbert played pretty well. Couple big fourth down throws. He did it without Keenan Allen, who left late in the second quarter. Touchdowns to Palmer. Touchdowns to guys you wouldn't expose on Mike Williams, and it wasn't. And it wasn't Keenan Allen. Gerald Everett, his first game as a Charger, he caught a touchdown. Derek Carr made some bad decisions with the football yesterday, and it cost his team the game. Devontae Adams had a solid start with the Raiders, but ultimately a loss is a loss. And with the Chargers winning and that defense looking incredibly solid, even without J.C. Jackson, Khalil Mack, a couple sacks yesterday. Joey Bosa played well. It gets us ready for Thursday Night Football, where we will see the Chiefs play the Chargers. Two of the best teams in the NFL meet in Week 2 to start off Week 2. Maybe the best game of the weekend, and you get it on a Thursday, the first 
Thursday night football game on Amazon in the history of the NFL. Kirk Herbstreet and Al Michaels on the call. If you haven't heard Kirk Herbstreet, because you don't follow college football, he is a great, great analyst. I love listening to him call a game. I think he's going to do fantastic work with Al Michaels. I'm looking forward to seeing the two together. But I'm, I can't wait for that game Thursday night. It's a must-see. Two of the best quarterbacks in the game. Two smart head coaches in my mind with Andy Reid and with Brandon Staley. Two teams that played well in week one that both got wins, and you're looking to be 2-0. The game's in Los Angeles, but I still think the Chiefs will have a home field advantage because the Raiders did yesterday in Los Angeles. Those Chief fans will travel. They would have liked that game later in the season so you can get some better weather, get the hell out of Kansas City, but nevertheless, I digress. Chiefs, Chargers, Thursday night. If you're not watching that game, I can't help you. Before we pivot to college, or before we pivot, pivot to uh, previewing tonight's Monday Night Football game, I was asked yesterday, so I sent a text, what do you think people do that don't watch football on a Sunday? And I had never thought about that question. That was a great question, very thought-provoking. And I don't know. If you didn't watch football yesterday, I'd love to know what you did. And I don't mean that as a ne I'm just curious. Because I was sent a text and said, what do you think people do on Sundays that don't watch football? So if you did not watch football yesterday, please leave in the comments, let us know, what did you do yesterday? Were you productive? Did you hang out with family, which I did none of? I make it a point, football season, you know, Saturdays and Sundays, I'm not hanging out with family. That's me time. I mean, hang out with the dog. That's family time. A lot of, a lot of bonding there. A lot of bonding there. But, yeah, it's just, what what do you do if you're not watching football on a Sunday? It was nice weather yesterday, I get it, but I'm not, I don't care if it's 40 degrees, I'm not going outside. Football. Come on. Now, it's Monday night. You might say, well, baseball's on. You get the Blue Jays and Rays. Great. You can throw that on when there's a commercial in the football game. But tonight, we have Denver at Seattle to wrap up week one. I have a few thoughts on this. Number one, the headline is Russell Wilson, who was traded to the Broncos in the offseason, returns to Seattle for the revenge game. Pete Carroll versus Russell Wilson. They've talked about each other in the offseason about how one screwed up the other and they both, they were carnage and it just didn't work at the end. And what you know, it's always either it's Russell's fault or it's Pete's fault, and they always seem to blame the other. Well, Russell Wilson had a lot of good years in Seattle. Got the two Super Bowls, was an all-pro, was a pro bowler, and he was likely going to the Hall of Fame. Now he gets a fresh start in Denver to see if he can turn that franchise around and get them back to prominence like they did in 2015 when they won Super Bowl 50. Well, Seattle, on the other hand, is going through a rebuild. They have Geno Smith at quarterback. 
They're completely changing their team. They want to bottom out. Pete Carroll is still coaching at 70-whatever years old, but the team is not going to be good this year, and it's a strange dynamic in Seattle where they didn't get a quarterback in the offseason other than keeping Geno and acquiring Drew Locke in the Russell Wilson trade. So my thought is it's Monday Night Football ESPN. It's the first game on ESPN for Troy Aikman and for, for Joe Buck. They came over from Fox in the offseason, and so you got them on ESPN. You have the Mannings, the Manning cast on ESPN too. Why was this the game that the league scheduled? Why was this the game that ESPN wanted? I don't think this game is going to be competitive. I don't think this is going to be a great game. The Seattle Seahawks stink. They got great receivers with a quarterback that is really not is not a good not a good quarterback. Kenneth Walker Jr. the third, the great running back in Michigan State, might not play tonight. He's a game time decision for the Seahawks. I just don't see this game being close. Seattle's defense is not what it used to be. It's completely tore apart. This Jamal Adams is still on it, but Bobby Wagner's a Ram. KJ uh, Wright is in Cam Chancellor are retired. Richard Sherman is working for Amazon. It's it's anarchy in Seattle. So what happens here? Well, I think Denver wins big. If I had to predict what happens tomorrow morning, I think Denver wins. Russell Wilson gets three or four touchdowns. He's looking good. He says, let's ride a few times. And people are saying, well, the Denver Broncos are the favorites in the AFC West. That, that would be the overreaction, that, but that's my thought, is that people will be so high in Denver because they play a crap opponent and they beat them like they should. Now, we'll wait and see if that transpires, if that comes, but that's what I'm expecting tomorrow, or tonight, when I see these two teams play. Looking at the spread, it's Seattle, it's Denver minus seven. I'm taking, I'll, uh, I'll take Denver. I'm laying the points. Denver minus seven tonight. I don't see Seattle. Keeping this game close, if they do, kudos. But I think Denver, Seattle's just so bad offensively. I can't see them matching with Denver. And I think Russell Wilson have a great start to his Denver Bronco career. Everybody will be excited, and it'll be, you'll be so high, and then it'll come crumbling down, and we'll forget about the Seattle game real soon because of other teams in the division just being Denver, just being better than Nathaniel Hackett, Russell Wilson, and the Denver Broncos. Now to college football. Wow. Week two in college football was complete anarchy. Complete anarchy. So let's just put this into context because it it had all it had all the trappings of a, of a great game. You know, it, it had it was just it was so crazy that I can't even put into words what this was like to, to see this game, to go over it. And so I'm looking at this at the day yesterday. And you're looking at numbers for teams and I'm looking at good buys. So I see Notre Dame is favored by 18 and a half over Marshall. Notre Dame played horrible offensively in week one. I say, I'm taking Marshall. That's easy. I have them on two tickets. Marshall not only covers the 18 and a half, they beat Notre Dame in South Bend. Then we hear today, Notre Dame's quarterback, Buckner, is out for the season. Might not be a bad thing. He stinks. 
But Notre Dame's 0-2 under Marcus Freeman. Terrible start, but I had Marshall there. I talked about this on Friday with Matt Wright. Somehow the ticket didn't go through. This They didn't go through for App State. But I said, watch App, App State versus Texas A&M. So Texas A&M, the number six team in the country, I thought App State would cover. They put up so many points against North Carolina in week one. App State, they didn't, it wasn't a high-scoring game. But App State outright beat Texas A&M, covered the number. So I could have had that one. I didn't. I took Washington State over Wisconsin. That was another 19-point uh, spread. Wisconsin, 19-point favorites. Washington State beats Wisconsin outright. Craziness. I took Texas to cover against Alabama. This was the first game of the day. Craziness. Alabama ends up eking out a victory 20-19 to in Texas. But really bad officiating helped out Alabama a lot. The Quinn Ewers injury in the second quarter where he hurt his clavicle. Hudson Carter to come in. It really changed the offense for Texas. I think if Quinn Ewers plays the whole game, they might win. The Alabama receivers were completely non-existent. Bryce Young had to win that game by himself. So that was another one. Texas, that was a winning card. I also had Marshall on another one. with I had Duke over Northwestern. And Texas, I took Texas on two as well. Uh, Duke over Northwestern. Duke outright won. Crazy. I had obviously Texas covered. I had Marshall. So those are two tickets that I won over the week. We won. I won another one with my friend. He came up. We watched a lot of college football. We had a number of, of interesting teams. We're both big Marshall fans now because of what what transpired over the weekend. Marshall winning multiple tickets for me and Texas for that matter. But this was how crazy it was. So number eight, Notre Dame loses. Number six, Texas A&M loses. Number 19, Wisconsin loses. Number nine, Baylor loses. Number 17, Pittsburgh loses. Number one, Alabama wins by a point. You had number 12, Florida lose to Kentucky in the swamp in a big upset, if you ask me, with Will Levis and Kentucky getting a big win there. Kansas beat West Virginia. Stanford nearly covered against USC. I look at the big winners this weekend in college football from all this anarchy. I got Michigan. Michigan doesn't have great quarterbacks, but they're 2-0. They got a really soft schedule to start the year. But they're rising in the rankings because teams are falling. Notre Dame's not ranked. Texas A&M, I believe, is 18th. Wisconsin is not ranked anymore. Baylor's in the high uh, high 20s. Pittsburgh is in is 24. So Alabama dropped to number two. Georgia rises to number one. So I got Michigan just, they're quiet. They beat, they beat Hawaii. They beat Colorado State. People forgot about them because they played at 9 o'clock at night while all this anarchy was taking place. Ole Miss. Ole Miss is rising in the rankings, not to mention they got, a, they got Georgia State this weekend, who's been a tough opponent to start the year for teams. So Ole Miss has had an easy schedule, but again, they're rising in the rankings. They're winning games while other teams around them are losing. Number three, big winners for me, I have the U, Miami University. Miami played like straight garbage against Southern University. Southern University covered, which isn't good, but Miami at least won the game. They're not going to lose their ranking because so many other ranked teams lost. The U will head to Texas Station to play Texas A&M this weekend. We'll see how A&M responds. The U, this is the biggest game in that program 
in some time because they've had very little success over the last five years. We'll see if they can go pull off an SEC upset. How about North Carolina State? They're ranked to start the season. They're 2-0 to start the year. They're dominating. Teams are falling. They're playing in the ACC. Clemson, they beat Furman, but Furman covered the number. Clemson doesn't look all that impressive. Wake looks pretty decent. So it's really, it's, it's anarchy right now. It really is. It, it's lots of craziness is going on around us in college football. Kansas, as I mentioned, beat West Virginia. And then I told you week in week zero, betting 101, when it comes, you can all do all this betting on FanDuel Sportsbook. When you're doing all this betting on college, whenever you see Nebraska with a double digit, when they're a double digit, double, uh, double digit favorite, you take the opponent. Nebraska was a 17 and a half point favorite over Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern outright beat Nebraska. Nebraska's one and two. They've lost to Northwestern and Georgia Southern. And then we heard yesterday. Yesterday morning during NFL countdown, right before games started, Scott Frost, the head coach for this is his fifth season at Nebraska, and a Nebraska alum was fired as head coach after just perpetual losing at Nebraska. And this Georgia Southern loss pushed the program over the edge. But don't feel too bad for Scott Frost because, yes, he got fired, but the, his buyout with the school was $15 million. He would collect $15 million to not coach for the rest of this season. That's how it works with these big programs. They get so much money, they just pay you to not work anymore. Scott Frost is out. Who knows who takes over Nebraska? Has been perpetually inept for some time now. They're trying to revive this program. They got Oklahoma this weekend. That should be fun for Nebraska. But, I mean, Scott Frost, I thought he'd be fired week zero. He wasn't when they lost to Northwestern after that onside kick. But he doesn't last past week two in college football. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I don't know who had the toughest weekend. If I look across football, Notre Dame is certainly on that list. I would say the Cowboys, but again, I didn't have much hope for the Cowboys. Texas A&M, yuck. I have to go with Texas A&M on that list. Maybe the Carolina Panthers because of just the, the magnitude of that game and the fact that they couldn't beat the, the shorthanded Browns, but what a what a weekend of football! I mean, that Saturday in college football was just craziness, craziness, crazy. Every, it was doubled. Every team is covering, beating seeds outright. You don't see that ever. Baylor, a team I like a lot, lost. BYU gets the win at home. That's an impressive win for BYU. Keeps them in the hunt for the for the college football playoff. Tennessee double overtime win over Pittsburgh. Tennessee's not a bad team. I, Kentucky winning, I, again for me, Kentucky winning in the swamp is a big deal. Will Levis did, Anthony Richardson had his regression game, only had 40% completions and two interceptions. This weekend, he didn't play well. But Kentucky found a way to win that game in a very highly contested SEC. 
through all of it, you look. Alabama squeaked one out. So they're number two in the rankings. You have Alabama. One, you have Georgia. Georgia, the team I got wrong the most before the season started. They're dominant. They got no problems on that team. Three, you have Ohio State. Tough week one. They didn't look great, but they, they found a way to win it. And then you go four, and it's that's where the conversation starts. Who's going to be that team? Baylor and Texas both lose in the Big 12. Utah already has a loss in the Pac-12. USC, to me, is a dangerous team because their schedule is not that difficult the rest of the way. But a lot of Pac-12 schools, I believe they got Notre Dame, which isn't a tough game on their schedule. Oklahoma. Oklahoma, they got some tough games in there. It's a long way to go. It's a marathon, not a sprint. But we'll see. It's also Clemson. They're four right now, but Clemson. Wake Forest, North Carolina State. There's some dangerous teams in the ACC, if you ask me that. Can pull up an upset in particular because Clemson's quarterback position is so weak right now with DJ Ugogole. Wow. What a weekend. That's all I can say. Looking through my notes, you know, it's, it's just football galore. I mean, Lamar Jackson doesn't get a contract. I could have touched on that, which we have been talking about that lately, so I won't bore you more with it. But, I mean, tomorrow we're going to get into a number of things. I mean, I will say congrats to Carlos Alcaraz and I guess Switek, who won the male and female U.S. Open majors this weekend. Alcaraz had a hell of a run, multiple five-hour wins, wins in four sets against Casper Rudd this weekend. Switek gets by Ange Jabber. Albert Pujols hit his 697th career home run. Passed A-Rod for fourth all-time. He's now three away from 700. He'll be the fourth man to ever do. He's got 21 games left. He needs to hit three home runs. Be a great story if he could get to 700 home runs. The Cardinals are going to win their division. They're going to make the playoffs. So who knows? Maybe they can go on a magical run in October. But now on the show tomorrow, Sheamus will return after his week absence. We'll talk about Nick Suzuki being named captain of Montreal. Tim Stutzla's contract in Ottawa. Evan Rodriguez's sneaky good deal with the Avalanche. The best moment of the sports weekend, the PTOs around the NHL. We got uh, some baseball stories, and we'll recap Monday Night Football tonight between Seattle and Denver, where Russell Wilson makes his return to Seattle and looks to beat his former team, where this all started from a fourth-round pick. He goes to Seattle. He just paved out a future for himself, and now he's back looking to have – have some success with a new franchise in Denver and hoping to win another Super Bowl before his career is up. So, hope you guys had fun this week. I know I did. Be watching the game tonight between Seattle and Denver. We'll break it down tomorrow. You can find us right here. And to the point.